first time into church, um, what we're about as a church is just finding God, following Jesus. Uh, and we believe God is so big, so rich, so deep, so full of love um, that you cannot fail to be impacted when you come into his presence. The presence of God is so much that when we meet together under the name of not just Christ, but God Almighty, the things start to happen in the place that he starts to speak to us. You heard, not just for the songs that we sing and the worship that we draw to God, but suddenly God moves on us to say, I think God is saying this. And because we're the body of Christ, the people of Christ that we start to share, and I think God's already speaking into that. So what God has already prepared me to share with you, it's not different. It fits in alignment with what God is doing because God has an agenda this morning for you and for your life. And listen, just I think we picked up on a little bit of what was said. You've all got big stuff going on. Some big stuff. And if you don't remember anything else about what I would say in the next few minutes, I think God wants to say, I am bigger. And I think he wants to give you a revelation of the size of God this morning. And I'm going to do that through his word. We're in Revelation chapter 4, just as part of a series. John, who wrote this particular section of the Bible, had a revelation, um, an unveiling of heaven. And he somehow tries to write it down in a way that we can symbolically understand. And sometimes it helps and sometimes it just rattles our brain. And part of preaching is just helping you understand some of what's going on. But the, 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 the word, the chorus that it says in Revelation chapter 4, verse 8, Day after day, night after night, they kept on singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The one who was, the one who is, the one who is to come. And whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders, they fell down, they worship the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and they say these words, you are worthy, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and they exist because you created what you please. You are created because God pleased to create you. You're created to carry the glory and the honor and the power of God Himself. We're going through those three words. You know, each word we're doing glory, two weeks, honor, two weeks, power, two weeks. And today we're at session four, which is honor part B. The sequel, and I want us to understand what honor is, because Claire, when she spoke last night, you know, uh, last week, she said to us, turn to each other and talk about what you think honor is. And I sat with Gareth down the front, you know, and I thought about it. And I, I, for me, it says identifying the greatness in others. If I'm going to honor somebody, I'm looking at their greatness. If I'm honoring God, I'm looking at his greatness, his bigness, his awesomeness. And I thought, actually, that kind of works. And then God started to work with my imagination. So is it enough just to see my greatness? So then in my mind, I thought, well, maybe it's recognizing God's greatness. And then I realized what recognition means. It means you're re-seeing. That's what recognition means. So 
So identifying is seeing God's greatness. Recognition is seeing God's greatness again. We come in week in to church and we're re-seeing the greatness. And then there is a movement where God, I think God shifted me into, I think honor is acknowledging the greatness, which is slightly different. Let me illustrate if I can. Who's been to the Tower of London? And when he'd been to the Tower of London, who has seen the crown jewels? Yeah, most of you will know what I'm talking about. Some of us have had that privilege of seeing the crown jewels. Did you know there's 140 items in the crown jewels? No, I mean, we just see the major things like the crown and the orb and the staffs. There's so many things, by the way, in the crown jewels, just kind of to, to list them, you know. Uh, trumpets, maces, crowns, swords, scepters, robes, rings, amulets, and a spoon. It's quite random, isn't it? It made me laugh when I... When I, I, I anybody want to know that there's a spoon exists, by the way? Interesting story that was straight to the spoon, by the way. It's the oldest item in the crown jewels. The golden spoon. The reason it's the oldest item, by the way, because when we became a republic in our history for years, what the republicans did, they got rid of all the crown jewels, and, and the only thing that survived was somebody who bought that spoon and then returned it back when we became a monarchy uh, again. And, and this spoon, by the way, let me tell you the interesting thing about this spoon, just random, by the way. It's the anointing spoon. So the 16th to 1600s, that's the spoon that we use to anoint our monarchy. Spiritual act, by the way. It's just a spoon. But it got me thinking, by the way, in the point, to identify the crown jewels is to see them. You might have seen the crown jewels. To recognize the crown jewels is to see them again. And whenever you see a picture, you know what is the crown jewels. If you type into Google right now, you'll find the crown jewels, but you'll also find the Polish version. They look just slightly different, by the way. But you'll be able to recognize. You can, well, that's not the, the crown jewels. This is, I know what they look like. But to acknowledge the crown jewels, let me tell you what you're doing. It's for you to understand that they represent the earthly and spiritual power of the monarch. You acknowledge the crown jewels. You are understanding that our monarch carries both an earthly power and a spiritual power. Invested in her is the defender of the faith. That's really deeply significant in the the life of that. And I want us to understand by God, because in drawing you to God, my purpose of this message is not for you to go, oh, I I, I think I I, I kind of saw God today. I think I had that understanding. I don't even want you to re-see God. Actually, I want you to take you even further, because I want you to take in the place of your worship by which you acknowledge both the earthly and the universal rule of God over your life, the supreme spiritual, spiritual authority of everything. Everything, and, and this message is written to try and help us to do that because I'm sitting there going, God, how do I do that? He is worthy. He is worthy. Honor has got two frameworks, the Greek, which means the price that was paid. It talks about value. It talks about preciousness. The Hebrew it is about weight. Honor is about weight. Honor your father and mother. You know, honor God. God says, if you honor me, I will honor you. Give weight to those people in your life. Give, give authority to those people in life. Give sovereignty to those people in life. That's how honor is. But you know what I've realized in society? We're brought up in this consumeristic world. Do you know, we're all trying to this Christmas, trying to get a best product for the cheapest price. Isn't that right? That's consumerism. 
I want something better. Your boss, by the way, is trying to get more out of you and less wages. Anybody feel that right now? Anybody feel that? I want you to work longer hours and I'm going to reduce your pay. Downsizing, it's called it, you know? Refocusing the business. We have some really cool words to do that. But basically, it's more for less. It's consumerism. And it's something, you know, Oscar Wilde says, a cynic is a man who knows the price of everything and the value of nothing. There's a story called The Gift of a Magi that, that actually talks about a young couple who love each other. She's got this love, lovely auburn hair. And he has this prized pocket watch. And, and for Christmas, they, they sit there and they, they don't have much money, you know, and they, they work out, what can I buy the person that I love? And so off she goes, by the way, and she goes down to the hairdressers and she's got £1.87 in the book. Uh, it's really $1.87. And she goes into the thing and she said, would you cut off my hair? Because I will sell my hair so that I can buy a chain for my husband's pocket watch. Well, what a gift that is. She walks in and that night she sits there. He, he obviously straight away, because he's a good husband, he noticed she's had a haircut. <laughs> if you want to be a good husband, by the way, notice your wife's haircut. It is an essential to a successful and happy marriage. You know, don't go, something different about you. You put on a bit of weight. That is a bad statement, all right? <clears throat> That he sees that and she looks at him and she says, yeah, I, I cut off my hair. I sold my hair because I wanted to buy this wonderful gift for your pocket watch. He looks at her and he, with tears in his eyes, he says, well, I didn't have money to buy you a gift. And my gift to you is all these beautiful combs that I've just bought and I've just sold my pocket watch to buy these combs. It's fascinating, really, because they've both got items of that no longer have any use. He's got a chain with no watch. She's got a combs with no hair. Consumerism, and that's just rubbish. That's pointless. But during the moment, they realize how much they value each other that they'd sacrifice. So when we say we honor God, when we identify the greatness of God in our life, I want us to talk about value. How much do you value God? How, how much do you put him right up there? Do you put God above your understanding? Do you put God above your limits? Do you put God above your emotions? Do you put God above your relationships? Do you put God above your finance? Do you put God above everything? Because that's where he is. And we need the word of God to help us because God is worthy of our honor. He is worthy of our honor. I want you to understand saying, God, in honor is not just a word. It's an acknowledgement of that greatness. Psalm 96 verse 4 says, Great is the Lord, most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. Psalm 145 verse 3 says, Great is the Lord, most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. Fathom's a word we use in our dictionary to, to talk about the depth of the ocean. No one can fathom. No one can see how great is God. Truly, by the way, to be in the worship of God is you get to that moment when your brain pops and your rational basis goes, I, 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 I think I'm at the limit of understanding God here. That's when worship begins. That's why, you know, when I pray and say, God, if I share how big you are, you're going to have to give me some understanding, some revelation. You're going to have to help me by your spirit so that it transfers, so that even now you're thinking, well, I'm at the limit of what God, because God's taking me higher. You can only do that through his spirit. Unless a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless you are aware spiritually, you're alive spiritually, you won't get this. You'll just be going, hmm? I'm just writing your rationale right now, but those who are spiritually born again, suddenly you rise and you think, 
God is bigger. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise and I am saved from my enemies. To the King of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honour and glory forever and ever. Amen. Timothy said that in 1 Timothy 17. I acknowledge your greatness. I live for your greatness every day of my life. If I'm going to honor God, I'm going to acknowledge God's greatness. You know, you go back to our consumer kind of fleshy thing when problems come, when big stuff up. What happens is, God, where are you? Why are you doing this? That is not honoring God's greatness. Do you know there's a position over here in God when bad stuff happens to you say that says God is good, God is always good, God's goodness is not based on my happiness or my happenings. That's actually maturity in spiritual things. I remember being on the phone and somebody telling me how they'd got a diagnosis for cancer but talking about the greatness of God. And I put the phone down with tears in my eyes going, that is incredible. How can you do that? Because they know how big God is. Do you know how big God is? Do you know his worth? Do you know his value? God takes us on that journey. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in the field, which a man found, he covered up, and then he goes, he sells. All that he has, he buys that field. I remember when I gave my life to Jesus as a young man. You're looking at me, I know, looking young still, aren't you? I'm talking over 30 years ago. I said yes to Jesus. I found that treasure. You could tell. It was in my eyes. There was life. There was joy. And I stood before God as a young man and I said, God, I'm going to live my life for you. And this is what it looks like for me. You know, because I found the treasure. You know, there might be someone in today who's like looking around going, is God really that good? Yes, he is. You just start this journey, you just open your heart and your spirit and say, God, come in here. You'll find that treasure. In fact, to find the treasure, you know what you need to do? You need to sell all that you have. I'm not talking literally, by the way, you know, to go out, but everything in your life, God, this is not going to compare to you. I said to God, I'm giving you my all. There's people all over this room who said that statement, I'm giving you my all. But to live as a Christ follower is to live under that greatness of God every single day. Let me tell you this. God is worthy of our worship because of who he is. First and foremost, we kind of follow God because of, of we wanting to do things for us. You know, God, if, if you bless me, I will do this. If you, you know, why haven't you given me a new washing machine or whatever you're asking for God. And if he doesn't give you those things that you're asking, then you go, well, you don't exist in my life. You know what? That's you bringing God down to your level. That's you making God smaller. I just realized in our whole life, we spend our life making God smaller. We're trying to fit him into our world. We're trying to control him. And God cannot be controlled. He's the creator of the universe. The Hebrew word is kebab for honor. Kebab. (laughs) I'm sorry. I don't know why I said that. It's very close. Kebab. (laughs) To be heavy. To be weighty. You can't get back from words like that. <laughs> if you learn about preaching, would you say those words? That's all you're thinking now, aren't you? You're hungry. The weight of worth, a precious metal. By the way, the whole thing about weight was because metal was weighed on its worth by its heaviness. 
You know, we learned about talents just a few weeks ago. Oh, it was all about a precious metal, you know, carrying around the weight to honor God. He's going, well, God is really valuable. Archimedes, he said this, give me a place to stand on and I will move the earth. In principle, um, he said if you give me a large enough lever and a place to stand on the strength needed to move something, you could move the earth right away. It's a really bold statement, by the way. There should be a picture of Archimedes. There you go. There he is. You were taught this in school, by the way. I'm just going to give you some facts, by the way, just to kind of let you know the limit of humanity, by the way. Uh, Anybody want to take a guess how heavy the earth is? So it's six septillion kilograms, all right? So if you took 24 noughts, put them on six, that's how heavy the earth is, right? We haven't got scales that's weighed it, but that's what our, our mass that we've and, uh, expected that as well. To move that, by the way, the biggest crane that we have in the world is called the Tyson, okay? It can only move 20 million kilograms. So let me tell you the percentage of the, you know when we think we can move the earth, let me tell you the actual fact of where we can move the earth. We can only move the earth to the best of our ability with the best engineers and the biggest technology on this planet, naught point. Naught, 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 three percent of the earth. That is our might. That is our combined might of our humanity. So Archimedes is way off, by the way. He was just being, in theory, you know, Psalm 83, when I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, and the stars which you've set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? You take a universal view of man, and we are tiny. If you've ever gone in a plane, and if you've ever flown over the largest cities of this world, and you look like ants over that, and you say, God, how can you know everything about me? Because he is God. Did you know Archimedes' standing place, if we take his theory to true, if we gave him a lever long enough, he'd have to stand 2.537 million light years away. That's quite far, by the way. At the speed of light, which we're not able to travel that way, it takes 2.54 million years just to get there. Your average lifespan as humans is 71 at the moment. 71 years. It's not going to happen under this. We cannot move the earth we can't even build a lever that big. Let's see them try. The diameter of the observable universe is 93 billion light years. The diameter of the observable universe, that's how big. You know what? And you, you put God inside of that. In fact, you don't even put God inside the universe. You put inside your head. You put inside your situation and all the time we're making him smaller, you know. So when we come in and we say we worship you, you worship a God who is bigger than the universe. He spoke the universe into being by faith. Hebrews 11 verse 3. We understand that the universe was formed at God's command. It's a big ask to believe in God. That's why faith means you go beyond your understanding. Genesis 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Psalm 91, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky proclaims his handiwork. I believe in a big God. Put your hand up if you believe in a God who created the heavens and the earth. You know what we're arguing, you know, within theological circles of whether God is able to do that in six days? Because some people are evolutionary, it happened, it's over a period of thousands of years. Do you know what, when you argue that, you make God smaller? You bring God down to your rational understanding because my view of God is God can make this in six days. God can make it in a moment. 
And I think every philosophical argument, yeah, I'll entertain the philosophy of your rational mind, but that does not make that happen. doesn't mean it's true because we're thinking our rational is bigger than God. That is our world is made up on we are bigger than God. The Tower of Babel is a symbol of our society, of men trying to build a building, and we're still doing it today, by the way. We're building bigger and bigger just to be better than the next country, just to say we are the biggest on the planet. And God looks down all of that. That's why he laughs. My ways are higher than your ways. Not even naught to the power of 15.3% of God. We're just way off of our understanding of God. This is what the Lord says, Isaiah 66, verse 1. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. (laughs) Where is the house that you will build for me? Where will be my resting place? I don't know if you've traveled the world and seen the churches, the biggest churches all over the world. Some of them cost millions. I've stood in the worst, most poverty-stricken areas. And then I've seen the church laid with gold. A few weeks ago, I stood in front of the Pope's manse in St. Peter's Square and looked at the millions and millions and millions. You know, we take our ability to just chisel stone to go, this is what God would like. God says, have you seen the universe? There is no plinth that you can build, no bit of marble that you can carve that's ever. That's why God says you can't build idols. Because nothing is ever going to compare to them. You read Job, it puts you in that place. I think this morning, if we're going to look at the big stuff in our life, I think God wants to put us in our place. There is nothing wrong with being in your place. Just saying, God, this is nothing compared to you. You are huge. He is the all-powerful God. We sing the song, you split the sea so that I could walk right through it. Talking about Moses and the Red Sea. Talked about God creating. I've even done a study, I won't do it today. The metric tons of how much it does, is he able to push water back? I've studied how, how wide they would have to be, by the way, to let the people walk through. Three and a half million people crossing sea, you know? And a lot of people say, oh, God can't do that. God can do that. A lot of people explain it as a natural phenomenon going, oh, there was a low water level that day and they just all tripped across that way because there's a bit of a droughty area. I, I believe God is able to hold back water. That, that's what faith is. And, and there's a big argument to say, minimize your faith, drop down God to a human level and then follow him. You know, who wants to follow what God is not able? It's pointless. You're wasting your time. It's just pious religion if you're doing that. If you're bringing God down to what you can understand, there's a moment we've got to get to because God is worthy of our worship because of who he is. And secondly, we worship God. He is worthy of our honor because of what he's done. This is not a consumer message here, but you need to understand with what, who God is, is the Elohim creator of the heavens and earth. But also through Jesus Christ. Wait. There's a song my mum listens to. She loves the old gospel songs. It says, He will carry you. There's no problem too big that God cannot solve. There's no mountain too tall that God cannot move. There's no storm too dark that God cannot calm. There's no sorrow too deep that He cannot soothe. If He carried the weight 
of the world upon his shoulders. I know my brother that he will carry you. I want us to spend just a few moments as we finish to think about the weight that Jesus carried. It says in John, Matthew, Mark, that he carried the cross. Depending on your theory, by the way, he carried the whole cross. It's estimated 136 kilograms on his back up the hill. It's the crossbar, depending on how you look, it's 45 kilograms. We see the story, you know, as the cross of Christ is depicted of Jesus struggling up the hill, having been beaten and tortured. And he drags up that cross beam right up to the top of that hill. But the Bible doesn't say about the weight he carried. It talks about what he was carrying. Isaiah 53 verse 11. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many. He will bear their iniquities. Hebrews 9 verse 28. Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many. 1 Peter 2 verse 24. He himself bore our sins, his body, on the cross. Just, just pause for a minute, by the way. Some of us have done stuff in our life, all of us. Can you imagine if we were able to write in this room everything we've done wrong? Every word in anger, every thought, we wrote that here. You know when you've wronged somebody. You can argue, you can defend yourself. You know what it feels like to wrong someone and to hurt someone. You know that weight. I could go back and not say it. If you've ever spoken words of hate over a loved one, you'd know that feeling. Our sin in this room, it's a lot of sin. Not just the emotional weight, but it's the actual weight of sin. You turn your news on when you get home and you go, God, just show me the weight of sin on this world. You can look at other countries, but our courts are full of sin. It looks like rape. <coughs> it looks like murder. It looks like corruption. It looks like stealing. And we just look at the offense and move on. But under every single one of those offenses within our judiciary, there is a story of a person who's been wronged. If your pension has disappeared, somebody's walked off of it, and you're left destitute, you understand some of that weight. But Jesus came to die and take the weight of every one of those sins. That's the weight that he carried on the cross. I think we've made it so consumer-based. It's just about my sin. But actually, I want to widen it. Jesus carried the sinners of the world. Once and for all, he was slain. Sent by God. Why? Because the relationship, you, we, as humans, were designed to live in relationship with God and walked away from God and found ourselves distant. You know the identifying the greatness? God sees our greatness. God sees our ability because we carry, we're made in his image. But he also knows what sin does. It latches on to our identity and it destroys our marriages. It destroys our hopes and our dreams and our peace. And God looks at that and he says, I can't stay there. I can't stand it being separated from love. You can't do that. It doesn't matter if somebody who has hurt you who you love. You know that because you're created to be God. I've got to close the gap. I've got to do something. What can I do? And God says, I will send my only son. And I will carry the weight of their sin.
See, Christians, you gave your sin to Christ. You know what everything will across, past, present, future. We somehow get into messy places, even as Christians, and we end up sinning, thinking stuff, still nailed to the cross, still carried by Christ. The times when we go, I need to come back to Christ to give that to you. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know what Jesus does? It takes all of our insecurities, of our sins, of our addictions, carries them to the cross. That's why he's worthy, you know. To receive honor. Not because of who he is as the creator God and God, and you blow my mind. Restore me back to the Father. God is the great big God. Jesus is the one that makes it personal. This is why we talk about finding God and going, oh, that's our first half of it, one moment, and then and then coming to Jesus and saying, Jesus, I come. Walk out that door, you invite Jesus into your heart, you take Jesus into your world. By his spirit, he will guide you in all truth. He'll help you. No one's perfect. You're not, I'm not. He comes in. And that's why we worship. I'm going to ask the band to jump up. and um, There's no appeal other than I'm going to invite you to worship God. Worship is more than a song. It's a journey of life, I know that. I want to take a moment. And I, I want to move you because there's a process to worship. And if you don't know this process, it really is quite simple. But the mm. earth is the Lord's and their fullness the world, which means God is everywhere. Put your hand up if you believe God is everywhere. Okay, great. Do you believe God is here? Right, that's the first level one of understanding worshiping God. If God is here, he is worthy to be praised. And even that in itself helps you sometimes. But the Bible also says you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. God not is just here. Do you know what the Bible says? You were designed for God to be in here. Who has a sense that God is in here? Let's just kind of, yeah. Some of you are, well, that's quite new. I don't know what that is. Where you can stand in this place and say, God, would you fill me with your presence right now? God will fill him. The God of the universe. That's what you need that moment to understand and worship God. And then there's a level when two or three are gathered in my name. By my maths, by the way, and I'm, I'm, I'm not bad with maths. There's more than two or three here. We're in the name of Christ. We're gathering. Do you know what? We move not just to the personal revelation, but into the wider revelation. Just stand up on your feet. Just, just here. Two or three of us want to gather in the name of God. In fact, somebody here helps you worship. We're not in it for just locking down and just shutting the world out around us. We worship together. You know, talked about big stuff. I, I know this. Some of you got big stuff this week. It's been going on. I know. Being your pastor, your privilege, your responsibility is I get to know some of the big stuff. What an honor it is to be in, together. Where we come together and bring all the big stuff to a bigger God. And you know what? Level four, by the way, is the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. You know, God loves it when we see how good he is. So just close your eyes. And just start to think how good he is. And if you can, if you're confident, just start to speak the good news because it's another level I think we can get to. 
And that's when we can't move because the weight of God's glory is so strong. It's the unspoken word. Let's lift his name up together. Church, you don't realize how powerful you are when God starts to move among his people. You're struggling? Just you? Say, God, come in. My struggles, you're a bigger God.